When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Corey Crenshaw-Farr. I'm Richie Suave Flores. And this is Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. On the Hockey Podcast Network. In a world where social media is king and everyone is an expert in everything. Get the facts from your insiders here on Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. Here are your hosts, Corey Crenshaw and Richie Flores. Welcome back in Sporty Nation. Uh, It has been a minute for sure. Uh, Richie and I took a nice summer off there. I think we talked to you guys about like one time um, after one or two times after uh, I got married and uh, I've got a little little pup now and it, it's it's been definitely a journey the coyotes aren't even in their same arena anymore we're gonna catch up on all things us all things coyotes very shortly here but in order to do so i must per the usual introduce my wonderful and amazing co-host richie suave flores how you doing Hello, Corey. I, as we were joking before we started here, we I don't know if either of us remember how to actually do what we're doing right now. Uh, I don't know. Do, what are we? Are we supposed? We're supposed to talk about the Coyotes, I think. I'm pretty sure that's what we're <laughs> supposed to do. Sometimes when we feel like it. <laughs> Sometimes when we feel like it. That's the perfect way to describe it. Yeah, I mean, like I'd say we two thirds is usually about Coyotes. And one third is about other things in life and pop culture and whatnot. I mean, sometimes we do two thirds um, coyotes and then one third just generically hockey too. Just whatever we feel like. Exactly. And I was joking before we were joking beforehand too. And I was like, well, okay, well, what do we talk about? Well, we can talk about Don Gunther. We can talk about Mold Arena. We can talk about. Um, the situation with the city of Tempe as we got some news about that earlier this week. And then I was, I just told you, I was like, or we just talk about midnights for an hour and I'd be perfectly fine with that too. Yeah. Midnights that you did not really like at midnight. But once we hit the 3am edition, you were starting to feel it. Yes, I, that's that's I I was buzzing by then. I was absolutely buzzing. I was still awake at midnight because the way Taylor released Midnight's because the album was called Midnight's is she released obviously the album 
at midnight Eastern time. So it was 9 p.m. out here on the West Coast. So Corey and I were essentially listening to it at the same time. So her and I were texting back and forth the entire time uh, discussing the first 13 tracks that had been previously revealed. And after that, I was like, I was kind of lukewarm too. I was like, I liked it, didn't love it. I, I was a, I am a folklore and evermore stan. Those are my favorite Taylor albums, and it's not even close. And so the first listen through Midnight's, I kind of, I was like, eh, it's it's okay. It's a little little too much synth for me on first listen. A little too much Jack, too much Jack Antonoff. And then um, several hours later. After previously teasing that we would get a 3 a.m. surprise to which beforehand we did not know what exactly it was going to be. We, we thought it could have been um, music video announcements. We thought it could have been a tour announcement, but it ended up being seven more tracks called the 3 a.m. edition. And you're right. Once we got those 3 a.m. tracks, that's what absolutely hooked me. And those are still probably some of my favorite tracks on the album. And it's no secret that me being the folklore or evermore stand that I am was a big fan of the 3M tracks because a couple of those tracks are produced by Aaron Desner, who was the producer on folklore and evermore. And, and so I think that's why I was such a big fan of 3M tracks. However, now as a whole album, and I've gotten to listen to it now for well over a week, obviously almost two weeks now at this point. And yeah, I've, I've come around to actually really enjoying it and, I like most of the songs more than I originally did. And it, songs will kind of sway up and down. What, depending on my mood, what song I want to listen to. So overall, I, I throw it right. I throw it right into his, you and I were talking about this a little bit last week. I throw it like right in there with reputation and like a tie for fourth place on the Taylor Swift album rankings list. Obviously uh, folklore evermore one and two, uh, 1989 three, and then it's like right there with reputation for four. I, I would have to come back to all of her albums in order to do that. It's, yeah, even just thinking about it off the top of my head, I'm not even sure where I would put them. I did really enjoy Lover. And I didn't enjoy the fact that she didn't ever get to tour off of that one um, because of the fact that COVID hit right after that. Um, so that one's definitely up there, but I have to go back into like my childhood for some of the older ones and, and see where they fit. It, there's like an emotional attachment to those though. So it's like there might be a little bit of a yeah, difference see, in that end. and that's that to me is like 100% okay to do because that's part of the story of those albums. I mean, that's how all of us are attached to our music is because of when we turn on a song, it may remind us of something that happened when we were younger or a story that we can tell. And that's the beauty of music. So I think that I think that's great and that's perfect. And that's how that's like that's why I, I'm glad you and I are as close as we are because. I didn't really become a fan of Taylor until 1989 onward. So I'm not the biggest fan of her pre 1989 stuff. So, you know, red speak now, uh, fearless and debut. Like those are like, they're okay. There's some good songs that come off of each of those albums that I like, but they're not, they don't have the staying power to me that her more pop laden stuff 
that has come in the back half of her career. So I actually, I 100% agree with you on that. And I think that's part of the story. I think that's awesome. Cause you and I have talked about that on this very show before why you're so attached to some of those earlier albums, because like, I think you even said before, you actually got to see Taylor Swift on tour a couple times back in the day before she like blew up into an entire, going on a full ass stadium tour around the world that she's doing now. I was in the nosebleeds of um, Gila River Arena, which was not Gila River Arena at the time. Um, And it was like, so it was way up at the top. And it was the very last day of my freshman year of high school was the first time I ever went to um, one of her concerts. And I believe... It was the Fearless Tour, if I remember correctly. And then I also went at like the next two years, next two tours after that or something like that. Um, But yeah, I went in the very, very beginning of her touring. And yeah, so I I do have some pretty good memories of all of that um, because of the fact that it does go back. I mean, when her first stuff started coming out, like when Tim McGraw came out, I was in middle school. So I, I do remember all of it pretty vividly. I, for a nice little fun trivia question for you though, speaking of, of, of bands and um, artists who have staying power with us. um, One of them, you're not going to guess, but the other one you might actually there was two CDs, and I don't remember which order they were in, of which one was first and which one was second, but that were my first and second um, albums that I ever bought. And I was so young that my brother had to like split um, our allowance money in order to get them. Can you guess what CDs they were? Huh. Okay. So luckily, I do have... I. For the sporting nation doesn't know, I have two sisters who are a year younger than me. So I'm assuming um, between you and them uh, at the time in the late 90s and early 2000s, there was some similarity into the type of music that uh, that uh, that age would listen to. So I'm going to guess I'm going to get I'm going to guess uh, Blink 182. And you're going to kill me for guessing the second one, but that's who was popular, Britney Spears. So Britney Spears was probably the first CD I was ever given. It's probably, I was obsessed. I used to carry my CD player around. I even had, um, I think, a PlayStation video game that was a Britney Spears one. So you don't have to feel guilty. I think it was her for Halloween one year when I was a kid. Yeah, it was, uh, I was obsessed. But so that that is a good one because I did have and I think I still do have every CD that came out during those days uh, stashed away. You could not pay me to listen to boy bands at the time, but I did like um, I did like Britney Spears quite a bit. But the first two CDs were the one that I did not think you would guess was Destiny's Child. Yeah, no, never, never would have guessed that. Never. Yeah, that one was completely um, random and you would have never guessed. 
But the other one, it is still um, a fan favorite of mine. I still own the CD to this day. But it is uh, Enema of the State by Blink-182. Nailed it. (laughs) So if you wonder about a band having staying power in someone's life, I had Blink-182 like without uh, just piano version playing when my guests were arriving to my wedding. Like that's the staying power of, um, you know, really enjoying music, but also it being like part of your life. Like even the other day I was wearing my, um, my enema of the state shirt and my brother was like, nice shirt. And I go, yeah, it was, uh, one of my first albums. My brother bought it with me and he's like, Oh, I remember. Cause he's five years older than me. So <laughs> I was giving him some crap cause he does not, I have an insanely good memory um he does not so i did not think he would actually remember that and he actually remembered that one he was telling my mom about it the other day so um that is for sure the staying power that is music i think that's like something that's so cool that's transcended times because you know the two concerts that i'm like having to literally maul people over in order to get tickets for taylor swift and Blink-182. That was Blink-182 was one of the most stressful concert buying extravaganzas yes. of my life. <laughs> yes, it yes it was. And uh, I'm glad and we are very fortunate to be able to go to the show here in Phoenix when they they roll through coming up in June. Is it is, that, is it June or July? June? June. 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 Cool. Got that right. So, we got lucky because uh, Corey and I were, we, Corey and I, as we always do for our concert, buying extravaganzas, we're on the phone with each other trying to figure out where we wanted to sit. And luckily, uh, we got in, Corey got in first ahead of me by a few minutes and, and was able to get tickets because by the time I got in and like five minutes later, they were gone completely and sold out. Yeah, I was stressed. I was literally pacing back and forth in my kitchen and and talking to Richie at the same time, it was a very stressful moment. It was it was funny too because I was on a on a call with some people at my work afterwards, and we were um, I, I do content creation of sort, um, but and so we were talking about concepts, and I was like, I would love to. Someone said mentioned something about emo, and I was like, I would love to talk about Blink One Eight Two all day today, but I don't think. That will be allowed. And then someone had made a comment saying, well, it's weird. They're touring like they're not even relevant anymore. And I had explained to them that I literally less than five years ago, or maybe it was about five years ago, went to a Blink-182 concert and um, and how they had Matt Skiba be their uh, lead singer. But I mean, at the same time, it's not like Tom DeLonge wasn't doing anything. He was also touring with Angels and Airwaves, which we just went to their concert as well. So I was like mm-hmm. laughing, going, yeah, no, they just, they were still around. You just didn't pay attention. Um, before we, we move on to, uh, I want to touch on one more Taylor thing before we move on to the Coyotes. The, can you guess, and I, I think I've told you this before, but I feel like you should be able to guess it. Can you guess the first album that I bought. 
Uh, first album that you bought. Okay, so... I feel like this has to be... I feel like it's got to be like a like a Green Day, <laughs> like maybe maybe Green Day maybe. I feel like you you had to have liked Matchbox Twenty as a kid. Um, what else was was around? That was like a. I need I need some like options here of two thousands <laughs> indie rock two thousands indie rock what have we got around here I will say you're somewhat on the right track someone on the right track uh, American Idiot my sister bought that album. And uh, at the time, I wasn't the biggest Green Day fan in the world. Wasn't the biggest punk rock person in the world. And so I came to Green Day later, several years later. Um, but yes, my sister was the first person in our family to buy the American Idiot. And uh, so you were close, but it was, wasn't me. Um, and then Matchbox 20 came out around the same, their album more than you think you are came out around the same time uh as the album I'm thinking of they I think they came out the same year they didn't come out the same year they came out within like a year of each other so you're very close but you even knew the exact name of the album I couldn't tell yes. you what album Matchbox 20 put out back then <laughs> that's great so it's I was impressively album. close you were very close, but do you do you have one final? I'll give you one final guess. I'm I'm out of ideas. Like I'm still trying to get back to that place mentally, and I can't. <laughs> I can't think. I feel like when I hear it, I'm gonna be like, "This is very obvious." When you hear it, you will you'll you will uh, you'll be like, "Damn it! How did I not guess that?" The first album I remember buying with my own money was an album called "Away from the Sun." Can you guess the artist if I give you the title? The title of the album, Away From The Sun. Away From The Sun? That sounds like a U2. <laughs> nope. Uh, Three Doors Down. Three Doors Down, Away From The Sun was the first album I ever bought. Oh my god, I should have guessed this. Oh my god, as I'm eating my brownie, I've got a mouthful of brownie right now. Yes, I can't so tell you guys it... how many how many Three Doors Down concerts I've been to with Richie. At yes, <laughs> I uh, look, they they have made music in a long time, so I don't listen to them as much as I used to, obviously. But like going back to kind of what you were saying about listening to music when you were younger and having that attachment to it, like I always have that attachment. Three Doors, I listened to Three Doors Down on a consistent basis when I was like a teenager and in high school. And they were my favorite band for the longest time. And like anytime a song comes on the radio, like I will still just absolutely belt at the top of my lungs, Kryptonite. And that was actually like two weeks ago when I was driving home from work. Kryptonite came on. I was like, holy shit, Kryptonite is still getting play on the radio. And I can still belt it at the top of my lungs every time it comes on. As it should be. <laughs> it's still, still a great song. Still a great song. 
there's there's one more Taylor Swift piece of news that I wanted to touch on before we talk Coyotes. And we were just talking about uh, tours, and you were, you had mentioned it a little bit. I did too, which is that on Tuesday morning, we were recording Tuesday night, um, Taylor Swift announced that her new tour is going to be called the Eras Tour, and it's going to start right here in Arizona coming up in March, right across the street from me at State Farm Stadium. And um, we are obviously both very excited for this. I spent three out, three, four plus hours trying to register to even for even a chance to get tickets through the verified fan thing. I finally got through hours later. Thank goodness that happened. But um, I, I am already very nervous for the actual ticket buying process, which takes place in two weeks. Coyotes power play goal. They lead two to one. Nick Ritchie. Coyotes power play has been really good this year. I don't know what has gotten into them all of a sudden for a team whose power play was absolute dog shit for the last decade plus. Their power play is one of the best in the league this year. Like, out, out of nowhere. Well, this team has to have something good. Yes, and right now it's giving them the lead against the Florida Panthers, who last year were one of the best teams in the league, one of the best teams in the league this year. And Flores dominated the game for the most part. They're, they have 25 shots on goal. The Coyotes 19. Uh, it was a larger margin than that earlier in the game. But, um, yeah, Coyotes lead in the third period. This, see, we used to complain all the time about doing um, pods during games because when we used to do them during games, it was when the team was actually, like, competitive and, and playing for a playoff spot. But now that the team is pretty much obviously tanking, obviously, um, it's not as stressful as one would think. But it's nice that the Coyotes have the lead here in this game. But to go quickly maneuver back to Taylor, uh, we are going to be very, very stressed out for the next two weeks as we try to see if we're actually going to be able to get our pre-sale from Ticketmaster or not if we get chosen. I mean, we have a lot of backups. And I have brownie in my mouth again. I'm sorry. It was right at the very bottom of it. I had to finish it. But um, we have a lot of backups of how we're going to do this. I'm not going to say it here because I don't want other people to steal my idea. But <laughs> I have ideas. Yes, we, we do. We have, we have some ideas in the, uh, in the rice cooker. Hopefully they pan out. And the cool thing is, is, like, I really hope we do are able to just get tickets to the Phoenix show because the cool thing about the Phoenix show, again, is that it's the first show of the tour. And it's the exact and same thing that she did. my childhood, Paramore. Yes, Paramore is the opening opener. I think When I saw that Paramore was opening for for Taylor and that was the Glendale show. I was like, Oh, he's going to be really excited. Corey's going to be really excited about that. Like, I think you are just as excited about Paramore opening as I am for Haim opening for the, in the LA show. I'm, I'm pretty jazzed about Paramore. Pretty excited. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's going to be the opening, the first show of the, the era's tour. And the cool thing about that. And the cool thing about going to shows that open tours is that you have no idea what the set list is going to be. And it makes it so much more exciting. 
And sometimes it also makes it stressful as well because then you can't line up like which songs to focus on and listen to so you can like learn the lyrics, so you can sing them at the show, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the cool thing is that you you get to show up and you get to have no you get to have, you have no idea what's going to happen because in our age of TikTok, you can watch a full concert on TikTok before you even show up. Like that happened with MGK, um, happened with a couple other uh, bands on on uh, I saw on TikTok like I saw a lot of people were you know in, uh, TikToking from MCR shows, Paramore shows uh, are big lately, and so first show of the tour you get none of that. So we get to be if we do get lucky enough to go to the show here in Arizona, we we go in completely cold, don't know what anything is going to look like, don't know the set list, and that'd be that'd be really really cool, and a lot of people are going to be really jealous. Well, and the other thing, I mean, no matter what, it's like with MGK1, we knew that he goes through the crowd um, hanging from a helicopter. We knew that going into it, but we had no idea that our seats were right underneath him. Literally, mm-hmm. I felt like such an asshole after it because I realized that my flash was on on my phone. And so it was probably glaring a light in his face the entire time. And I literally looked at my husband and I was like, I am such a dick. I didn't realize that my like, cause it was, it was both light and dark. My phone was just like, I need to apparently turn on the flash. And so, um, I felt like such a dick that I was probably flashing him in the face. And then of course, Scotty was like, yeah, so was everyone else. Like, don't feel that guilty, but he was that close. Um, to us that like I could feel guilty about that. So um, it, so it is a little bit different when you're in it, but it is really cool that way. And with Taylor Swift, I'm not too worried. I mean, um, I have to think like from like the eras of everything, I could probably make a speculative guess which ones she would play off of ones that she likes the most from each album and which ones were the most popular, like which ones kind of like cross reference. Um, so I could probably guess, but the other thing is like, you might have to go back to some of the old ones, but I just, I feel like Taylor Swift is, uh, an artist that I really don't have to like try and catch up on anything. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. That like, even if she goes to one of her deeper cut songs, you'll still be able to like nail it. Yeah, that's. What I feel like it. It's one of those where like, it, it. I already have that one kind of prepared. It's like I don't know. Did you ever really listen to, or did I was was I the one that convinced you to listen to? I'm only me when I'm with you. Yes, you you put that on your playlist for me that you made yes see that that one i didn't even really realize was a like a deeper cut technically but it is and that's what um so uh, there it's funny there's only a few artists taylor swift being one blink 182 being one there's some that like i could go into the concert and not even be remotely concerned because i'm very aware of anything they're going to play <laughs> See, we could do a whole other show, hour-long show, on trying to craft what the set list might sound like. Because for those of you who we're trying to talk to here and aren't Taylor Swift fans or 
aren't as deep into Taylor as maybe Corey and I are. This is her first tour in four years. In the intervening time since her last tour, the Reputation Tour, this woman, who is the music industry, who has put 10 songs from a 20-song album into the top 10 of the Billboard charts in the same week, since Reputation, she has put out Lover, she's put out Folklore, Evermore, and Midnight's. This woman has put out four albums in the span of four years and hasn't toured any of them. Has, has rarely played any of those songs live. She did a couple live, live uh, versions um, around the Lover era right after it came out, but never got to do Lover as a tour because everything got canceled because of COVID. So... If you like, did in Paris, it, though, I have the live version on Paris on yes. on my playlist. So I do yes, listen ex- to that. Exactly. And then we got the folklore long pond sessions, too, which is great. But other than that, like, none of this has been played live. So, like, it's, it's, it's going to be ridiculous her having to choose what to focus on and what to play. Like, most set lists, you would imagine, about an hour and a half, two hours. So Taylor gets the full two hours. She gets 25 to 30 songs to play. Like, I can't even imagine what, like, how you make a set list out of, out of that with all the new music she hasn't played. And it's 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 going to be ridiculous. And there's going to be some songs left out that I'm going to be very disappointed I don't hear. Particularly, I believe, from Folklore and Evermore. Because, again, you can show up at a stadium and just play Folklore and Evermore through their entirety and I'll be perfectly happy. But... Uh, if we had a full hour, we would totally do that and go through and pick maybe on the next pod two months from now. We'll do we'll, we'll do a, a full twenty five song set list, and um, and uh, well, maybe maybe I'll get we'll get Jordan on the show, our friend Jordan on the show, and and she can who's our other Swifty friend, and and she can help us choose a set list. I mean, it, it's also very much going to depend on what Taylor wants to play, too. And what goes in well with her show. She puts on a really, really good show. Like, it's a big deal for her. She's very big on the production value of it. Um, when I went and saw her the, for, for the very first time, I was just in awe of the production that she's had on on her tours and then to go from that to where she is now you can only imagine how amazing they've gotten if i was that enamored by them then to where they are now so yeah it it's gonna be cool it's gonna be a lot of fun it's gonna be very overwhelming and we're probably going to run into every single person we know there but it'll be it'll be really cool if we can get the tickets, you know. The, those problems. Exactly. One last one last thing. She's calling this tour the Eras tour. We mentioned that already. But here's the big the big speculation that I think a lot of people are wondering is she's still going through and re-releasing all of her albums uh, from Free Lover, so Reputation on Backwards. We already gotten we've gotten Fearless. We've gotten Red Taylor's version. We've gotten 
a couple of singles from 1989, Taylor's version. But other than that, we still have Reputation, Speak Now, debut in 1989, re-records to be re-released. And we know from the past that Taylor doesn't really, because of that, had, I believe it was on the AMAs years ago where like she got into a kerfuffle over being able to play her music at that show because she doesn't own the rights to those those songs because she hasn't re-recorded them. And, and supposedly so the why spe- she's not doing the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And so that's the big speculation is, well, if she's calling it the Eras Tour and promoting on the poster that she's got all 10 albums on that poster, does that mean that we are going to get all four of the re-recorded albums that have yet to be released over the course of the next four months before the tour starts? Why not? And I have a feeling, yeah, I have a feeling that's going to be the case. I think I truly believe that is going to be the case that we're going to get all the re-records done by the time she starts touring. So she can tour her entire catalog because I, I think you would agree with me on this. I don't think she would tour the songs that she did not have, uh, have re-recorded already. The only other option is to just release singles from a couple of the albums that she wants to play on tour. Like she's done with 1989. That's the only other option, but like we're going to have so much flipping Taylor music over the course of the next four months. It's going to be ridiculous because we're going to get the re-records. We're going to get the vault tracks and then, uh, Oh yeah. And then we also had just got midnights too. So it's going to be, it's going to be ridiculous four months to be a Swifty. If it's not ridiculous to be a Swifty at all times, but even more so now. She enjoys chaos. Yes, absolutely. She enjoys, as one of her songs says, she is a mastermind. She's a mastermind. Let's dive into some hockey conversation, everybody, before we get to talking about the Coyotes. We need to tell you about DraftKings. Let's see how good I am at diving back into these DraftKings read. I haven't done it in two months since July, so it's been like four months. Uh, It is underway, of course. The Coyotes season is underway, and if you were on DraftKings Sportsbook, you can bet on the Coyotes, and if you bet just $5 on the Coyotes and the Coyotes win, (laughs) if you get lucky enough to do it, you can get $200 in free bets if they win. It doesn't have to be the Coyotes. It can be any team in the NHL. $5 on any team, and you get $200 in free bets if they win. If that was enough, you can get same-game parlays. Those are super fun. Uh, and you can get like a same game parlay extravaganza. So the more bets you make, the more bets that you put into your slip, you can get a bigger payout with same game parlays. It's awesome. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use the promo code THPN, bet $5 on any NHL team to win. Their game, you get $200 in free bets if they do. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. You can see the show notes for details. How do I do? That's my first read in four months, and I, I, don't, I feel like I didn't do that great. But I, I think you still got it. Thank you. Thank you. It's... You know, I'm uh, usually a mastermind when it comes to those things. So to be a little slow when we on our first show back is totally okay by me. Yeah, no, I that was that was pretty good. That was much better than I would have done first time back. So um, 
I, I'm just very proud that you got through that and you got through that very smoothly. Um, so yeah, I, I don't see any problem with it. I think it was flawless. Thank you. I appreciate that. And hopefully you do too. And you use that promo code THPN when you sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, just don't listen to me for betting advice because um, I'm not very good at it anymore. I'll have heaters. I'll get hot once in a while, but I've decided to take a major uh, major league break from the bet sports betting scene because I can't, I can't win a bet to save my life. But hey, at least I try, I guess. At least we're not the people who put like hundreds of thousands of uh, millions of dollars on like the world series every single year i always feel like there's one person that's like i put a billion gazillion gajillion fulfillion dollars on like this team to win and every time i watch and, and it always ends up being like either football or baseball and every time I watch it, I always just think to myself, like, how little fun you must have watching it because you're going to lose so much money. Yeah. And one of those people you're probably talking about is Mattress Mac, who owns a, uh, a mattress company in Houston, Texas. And he always usually bets big money on any time the Houston teams are, are advancing in the playoffs. So you put a bunch of money down on the... Houston Astros to win the World Series. And the Astros are currently down two to one in their series to the Philadelphia Phillies. So he is up to lose uh, several million dollars if the Astros do not come back and win that series. And to be honest, I don't think that's happening. The Phillies are just on an absolute just buzzing right now. They hit like five home runs in game three in the first five innings. It's ridiculous. Um, they also beat the Padres too, which I was – very sad about because uh, I adopted the Padres for my for the playoff run. But anyway, uh, to hockey we go, Corey. Where, where would you like to begin our Coyotes conversation? Let's start at the beginning of Mullet Arena. In just three words, how would you describe the first game at Mullet Arena? Dope as fuck. Damn, they, they didn't even need to be descriptive words. It was just a sentence. Three word sentence. <laughs> hey, you asked for three words and I gave it to you. Put me on the spot. I think I did well. <laughs> that, is, that is true. I, I do think you did well. For, for my three, I would probably say... Um, energetic, cozy, and fun. And here's why. Because there, there was a ton of energy about it. it. You know, it starts off with the very kind of heartwarming story of, um, you know, Shane Doan and Josh Doan dropping the puck together and walking out on the ice. And then you go into the actual game itself. Everyone's got, you know, their mullets on and there's all these Coyotes fans in there and it just seemed electric. And that is not a vibe that you would normally be seeing from a team 
that is built to be this bad. They're built to be a bad team right now because it's just where they are at in their rebuild process. And so the last thing you would expect is for a place to just be electric. Once you, you know, you've, you've gone into this debut game in this arena um, because, you know, there obviously was other games that were played in the arena before. Um, Richie and I were watching a watching ASU play in there and whatnot. But um, this was the first one for the Coyotes. And it was covered in a lot of just kind of dark clouds and the fact that they had to kind of put little like pop up dividers in order to try and make um the visiting locker room work for these first four games and you know there's a lot of just things that they were trying to work through so the fact that fans came and they came in abundance they paid the extra money for it and then it also became a game that people really were enjoying even the commentators and all of the media was enjoying it because you know Richie as someone who um worked uh worked in media and was on the media level and I was um I was even higher than you because I was working for the team itself um so I was sitting ab- above you guys uh you know how far away from the ice at um at Gila River Arena it's very far away And they're calling these games from way up there. So when you have, when you're someone who's doing play by play, it is a dream to be that close to the ice and to really be a part of that action. Every person just loved the atmosphere and really appreciated the vibe that it gave off. And honestly, from watching it on TV, you could not even tell a difference. No, yeah, even yeah, we were texting about that while we were watching the game, and you can't tell. Like you can, it's it's just as loud as any other big NHL rink. It is you can't tell from the cameras that it's smaller. Um, every player that they've talked to about playing in this arena absolutely loves it. Everybody who's played on the ice there says it's one of the best sheets of ice in the entire league, which is saying a lot coming from the previous building, which would get complaints all the time for Gila River Arena's ice is not being too great, obviously, being here in the state of Arizona. But I want to read some quotes here from a couple of visiting players about this. I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to read this headline from the New York Post talking about the New York Rangers who came to town a couple days ago and beat the Coyotes. Um, Rangers can't get over Mullet Arena's raucous atmosphere. No words. Condre Miller said, I have no words. I really don't. I've been trying to figure out what I just played. I don't know. It was a weird game. You see the guys in the stands taking off their shirts. I don't know. Like guys are left speechless prior to tonight's game against the Florida Panthers, which is about to finish up for Mullet Arena. And it looks like the Arizona Coyotes are going to make history and win their first game at Mullet Arena against one of the best teams in the National Hockey League. Karel Vimelka has stopped 40 shots of the 41 shots he's faced. A truly epic performance by the Coyotes goaltender. 
from a goaltending unit that's been really good over the last several games. And the Coyotes are up 3-1 to one in that game, Clayton Keller with the empty net goal just moments ago. Um, but prior to the game, Matthew Kachuk, who obviously grew up here in Arizona because of his dad, Keith Kachuk, who's in the Coyotes' ring of honor. And this is what he said prior to the game. He said, Looking at all the past college hockey rinks I've been to, it's always so much more fun. There will be a lot more life than out in Glendale. That was my first reaction. I'm way happier with the game here than there. He added that when his dad, former Cavs captain Keith Kachuk, played downtown, there was an exciting atmosphere then. There's a lot of people that love hockey here. And just to have in a location like this makes it that much easier for them to come to games. So Matthew Kachuk, more than anybody, gets it. And everybody that – and Blake Wheeler was saying the same things after the game too. Like it just doesn't matter. Like it was just a fun atmosphere to play, and the ice was good. Like who cares about the locker rooms, which were getting a lot of play before the game. And the game has indeed gone final, and the Coyotes have won their first game at Mullet Arena on their third try. So congratulations to the Coyotes on doing that and getting an upset win over the Florida Panthers. Who, speaking of DraftKings, Corey, I was looking at the odds before the game. The Florida Panthers were minus 300 favorites in this game, and the Coyotes beat them in regulation 3-1. to one. So, big night for Coyotes hockey. And big night for anyone who bet on the Coyotes. Yes. <laughs> this is the second time this year that they've beaten a big-time favorite. The um, Toronto Maple Leafs were something like minus 450 favorites, I believe, as well. Um, so... <laughs> If you, you bet the Coyotes on the right night, you're gonna you can win a lot of money. But um yeah, big night, big night for the Coyotes. Awesome to see again. And I'm sure I don't have the audio on, obviously, but I'm assuming the fans are losing their minds there as they got to see their first win uh, there at Mullet Arena. So and it was on a really cool night too, because it's hockey fights cancer night. Um Matt Schott's mother and brother were out dropping the first puck before the game, and it was like it was such a cool moment. So if you're gonna get your win. Tonight's the night to do it. Um, the night that they put the number 94 for Matt Schott up into the, the Raptors in Mullet Arena. Awesome night for the Coyotes. Awesome, awesome night. Yeah, I uh, I can guarantee you he is smiling um, looking down on that because that is kind of – it's literally the epitome of his dream and a lot of our dreams of people who are fans of hockey in the state – and have been around for the growth of it in the state. And what Matt Schott did for hockey in the state is something that is, you know, very extra, extra special. Uh, It's almost hard to describe the impact he's had because it's been so, um, it's been felt by so many, but it's the epitome of where we're going. The fact that we have, um, an NCAA team and an NHL team playing in the same arena in Tempe and just having that vibe is something that like would have eternally made Matt happy. So that's, that's something I, I would love to applaud for everyone, everyone's sake, because it's, it's a very beautiful, beautiful moment. Yeah, Karel Vimelka may be having the uh, the game of his career tonight. He uh, 41 saves on 42 shots to get the win for the Coyotes this evening at Mullet Arena. Speaking 
of Arena. We got some news this week, Corey, from Craig Morgan over at PHNX about what is going to be the next phase as far as the city of Tempe is concerned and their vote on the Tempe Entertainment District and the Cowdy's new arena. I'm going to read a little bit of what Craig has here in his article. The lead from the article states this. Cowdy's president and CEO Javier Gutierrez told reporters on Thursday the Tempe City Council will vote on the team's proposed arena and entertainment district on November 29th. But sources told PHNX that the council is also likely to refer the proposal to referendum in November, leaving the vote in the hands of Tempe citizens. And you and I were talking about this. I was talking about it on Twitter with some, some people. And it just seems like a strange idea to do this. Understand why they're doing it, but... When you put it into the hands of the voters, as we have learned, under many circumstances, trusting the voters to do the right thing is sometimes not the right thing to do. So um, all Craig went on to cite in his article that an internal poll shows that 60, there is 60% support for this Coyotes Arena deal with the city of Tempe. However, as you know, you and I were talking as this thing goes on and it goes to the voters and we've seen this over and over again in politics, because now this is what this is becoming. It's becoming a political issue. Everything is going to become more and more polarized and there's going to be so much misinformation out there from interest groups, from whoever that may be, whether it be the city of Phoenix, whether it be Sky Harbor airport, whether it be the Goldwater Institute who Coyotes fans know all too well. It's a Taylor Swift reference right there for you, everybody. Um, I, I'm scared to see what happens once this gets out of the hands of the city council and to the voters. Because there's going to be so much stinking misinformation out there about this thing. That the Coyotes are going to have to do some sort of like, I don't even, their campaign is going to have to be as well run as the Barack Obama 2008 presidential campaign like that's the kind of campaign they have to run in order to win this thing in the minds of voters because i i I just i i don't know what to expect like when it comes to these interest groups what they're going to do and how much money they're going to be willing to spend to kill this thing and it's frustrating because there is no public money in this deal the counties are going to be footing the bill for everything so i don't understand why this is even going to the voters in the first place the council, this is what you're elected to do, city council. The people of Tempe elected you to vote on this type of thing. And you'll be like, nope, we're not going to do it. We're going to put it in the hands of the voters. It's just, it's frustrating. And it's just more of a waiting game for this team when it's just like we're, everybody's sick and tired of just waiting. We just want the shovels to go into the ground on this place already. Yeah, that's, I think, the biggest problem I have with all of this is the fact that it's going to make it a lengthier process. So this will go into vote sometime in 2023 um, at a time that hasn't been announced quite yet. We don't know when it's really going to actually go up for a vote. And um, And then you have a year at least of cleaning the land that the arena would would uh would be placed upon and then you have about 24 months of building the arena itself 
and it could be longer due to certain upgrades. So you have a team that is, you know, already playing in Tempe and they're they're they have a nice temporary home in Mullet Arena. And, you know, it I will say for for what it is, it is it has exceeded my expectations. Uh Richie and I had talked about how it was going to be nice to essentially have a 942 crew um, at Mullet Arena. You know, you are you have a student section where students get to buy um, cheaper tickets, and that's where you're getting a lot of that energy from. And um, obviously there were some complaints online about the fact that they had no goal horn the first game out. Um, but if anyone's ever worked the behind-the-scenes stuff, on all of that, you know that there are little glitches that um, always end up happening whenever you're doing something new and especially in a new arena and trying to work everything. So um, I'm sure that's probably what happened. But as great as it turned out to be, it's not a permanent solution. They were hoping to be there for three years. The three years is already not possible. You're already cutting into that first year now. And then if you don't put a vote up until 2023, and then you possibly have um, some legal things that you're going to have to go through with all of the people that Richie had mentioned earlier, we're looking at like five, six years at this point, if we keep delaying this process and the trajectory initially was so on par with the trajectory of this team, by the time that new arena was to open, it was going to be when this team is supposed to be a playoff team not necessarily a Stanley Cup winning team, but at least a playoff team and starting to do to do what they were supposed to do and really be able to be a competitive team. And at this point, they won't be out of Mullet Arena. Yeah, and that's that's a very tough pill to swallow for a lot of fans. And like you said, yeah, three-year commitment right now. They have an option for a fourth year, but beyond that, Nothing is set in stone quite yet. So, again, you look at you start to look at that timeline. Usually, votes of this sort tend to happen around Marchish, and then also in November. Those are usually the two kind of dates, more or less. And then sometimes in August as well, but those are generally primaries for general elections in November. So, uh, like special elections like this, usually again will take place in March, and sometimes November. And so you're looking at a situation where, number one, diving into the politics here a little bit, but number one, we do know that off-year elections, such as 2022, generally, historically, the turnout is not as high as presidential year elections, like we saw in 2020, which was the highest participation we've seen ever. Now, the 2022 projections, as far as these midterms, are up from what they were in the previous midterms in 2018 from everything I've seen uh, here in Arizona and, and, and nationally as well. Like it's right on pace with 
with that, if not higher. So my point being is that, well, what do you expect the turnout to be? So you can have that poll that says 60% of people support it, but when it comes to polling, you can't always match turnout and who's going to show up at the polls to vote in any certain election. So that's kind of what scares me about that. And so that comes into play. You have the delay in terms of when it actually goes. It goes in March. Does it go in November? And then you have, Craig gets into this in his story too, I believe, which is you have the legal challenges to this as well, which are very likely to happen, seemingly coming from Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix, the city of Phoenix. So I hope this doesn't get delayed too much longer. Like just, if it, like I said, if it can, we can get the vote in March and it, and it passes, thank goodness. And then maybe they can get it started by next season and start to remediate the land by then. And, and then in four years, by the 2026 season, 2025, 2026 season, um, then we can start talking about moving into a new rink. And remember, back when Healy River Arena opened, it was driving.com arena, Glendale Arena, whatever you want to call it, Desert Diamond Arena now. They didn't start playing there until, uh, until um, I believe, December was their home opener here at Arena because it wasn't quite finished yet. So there is precedent for kind of splitting a season between two different arenas, um, and maybe that will come into play. But, again, it's going to be an interesting month for Coyotes fans as the city of Tempe starts to hear from fans and, 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 and people as they approach the vote on November 29th. I'm curious to see if they change their minds at all after hearing from the public and other people involved that they just vote straight up in November. And I think all of us are in agreement when we, we say we hope that's the case and they just pass it out right. All right, one last thing we wanted to get to before we wrap up here in our return to the Sporting Nation is that of Dylan Gunther. My Siri just went off in the middle of the podcast for some reason. That was really strange. Dylan Gunther has played eight games in the NHL. After his matchup this evening against the Florida Panthers, which means he has one more game left in his trial before his entry-level contract kicks in for the season. Dylan Gunther has played some great hockey this year for the Coyotes. He looks like an NHL player. He looks like a player that if he played the entire season could very well contend and might be a front runner for the Calder Trophy if that was the case. So there are a couple things to think about when we're talking about Dylan Gunther. Number one, his stats so far. Had another assist tonight on the Lawson Krause goal um, during that during the that game tonight against the Florida Panthers. So he's got six points in eight games. Corey, he's 19 years old, and he has six points in eight games. I did not expect Dylan Gunther to number one, actually even start the season on the roster with the Coyotes to begin with. And number two, certainly did not expect this 19-year-old kid to be producing at the level he's producing at through eight games at the National Hockey League level. And on a team that is just not very good, to be honest with you. You know, it's a it's a team that we've always joked about the fact that, uh, you know, you're in this point to lose games. That that's your purpose here at this point. And um, 
so him to be able to come onto a team that's not a very good team and try to find his way into the speed of the NHL and really be able to find his own place in it and, and really kind of build into that is very, very rare and very special. It's, it's a great sign to see. Obviously it's not a massive sample size, but it's, it's a pretty good one so far. And so to be able to see that and then to also make this team a little bit more competitive, we always say too that, um, even though this team is not supposed to be necessarily winning games, they still need to be competitive in these games to make it interesting, to make it something that fans still want to watch. And seeing the success of Dylan Gunther is 100% a way to keep fans engaged because this is what people want to see. This is the Coyotes' future and as you'd mentioned, as a 19-year-old, very, very young, has a lot ahead of him on this team, to see him start off on the right foot is really nice and is also something we have not seen in quite a while from uh, any draft pick that the Coyotes have taken in the first round. Now, ain't that ain't that the truth? We're still waiting on Barrett Hayton, the number former number five overall pick, Ended last season on, on a really good pace and really started to produce at the NHL level like we thought he maybe could. Has zero points this year. Cra- wild. That's a crazy stat. But I'm going to read my tweet from Tuesday afternoon when Craig put out the story about Dylan Gunther and, and what his future might be with the team this year. I said, Bill Armstrong has been playing the long game since he was hired. Burning a season of a contract in a tight cap era doesn't make much sense for the long term of the team. And that is why, going back to your point about this team not being competitive this year, to me, using his entry-level contract as an asset three years down the road needs to be thought about now. And that is why it is my opinion that Dylan Gunther should go back to the WHL. However, the problem here is that last year the Oil Kings were in contention for the Memorial Cup. And they were playing really well in the playoffs. And then Dylan Gunther got hurt and they got knocked out. This year, it's the complete opposite. The Oil Kings are a disaster. They're 1-12-1 this year to start the season. So they're not a good hockey team. So would you rather you burn that season of the ELC on a bad hockey team in the NHL where he's proven he can produce and contribute and win you hockey games so far this year? Or would you rather he go back down to the WHL where the stakes are lower, play for a bad team, and maybe get his development set back because he's playing on a bad team. For me, I'd probably still send him back down because I'm thinking about how valuable that entry-level contract is in the National Hockey League nowadays. And so to me, knowing what we know about Bill Armstrong, I I think we're only going to get one more game of Dylan Gunther this year. And, and, and it's, it's frustrating because as good as he's been, like 
He's been an important part of this team this year, right? He was an important part of the game tonight, getting the assist on the power play Cole to to Lawson Kraus. But again, I think a lot of us didn't even expect him to make the team at all this season. So the fact that we're getting to see this bright spot is just like icing on the cake. So we'll find out. He gets one more game, and then after that, we'll see what Bill Armstrong wants to do. From what I understand from Craig's article – we don't know. We really don't know what Bill Armstrong has in his head regarding Dylan Gunther. So what should the Coyotes do about Dylan Gunther? Yeah, that one, I I tend to agree with you on a lot of the aspects of that. But then I also think to myself, I am also not coaching him. I'm not on the bench with him. It's very interesting in development of players because I there's not a, a cookie cutter way to do it. It's not a, as much as everyone thinks that there is a certain way of, of making it where you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do that. It's, it's not necessarily done that way. These are individual players with different levels of skill and different levels of maturity that it, it's very dependent upon the player on what you do with them. And so there is there's benefits and um, cons to each of the options, but I think it's really just going to be what is best for his development. Because as you'd said before, this team is not a good team. It's, you know, they don't necessarily have to have him because there is no point in them winning games. Um, He does help make them a little bit more competitive, more interesting to watch for sure. But um, it really just depends on weighing what is best for him and then the business side of everything. I, I will say it until I'm blue in the face. This is still a business at the end of the day. So what is the best decision for his development and what is the best decision for the team as business? And when it comes to that, I 100% trust what Bill Armstrong's decision is, 100%. I don't think there's anybody else I'd rather have at the helm right now than Bill Armstrong because everything he's done so far seemingly has has worked, in my opinion, right? We're watching it this year. We're watching J.J. Moser, the 60th overall pick, second-round pick last year in the draft, be a key part of the defensive core of this team this year. He's playing really well right now um, in his first full season at the NHL level after playing overseas for many, many years. Um, we're seeing, obviously, we're seeing Dylan Gunther's success. We're seeing the success of Shane Gossespierre, who is a Bill Armstrong acquisition. So we're seeing this thing starting to pay off. We're seeing Karel Vimelka have a career game against the Florida Panthers. Another Bill Armstrong move. So, we're seeing these things start to kind of move in the right direction. And so I trust Bill Armstrong, whatever decision he ends up making. And again, that game is Thursday at Mullet Arena. Coyotes will be debuting the 2022 version of the reverse retros in that game, which we did not get to on this show, but I'm sure we'll get to after the game on Thursday. Um, so I'm excited for that. Excited to see Dylan, what maybe Dylan Gunther's final game with the Coyotes this season. We'll find out. Um, uh, 
Any, do you have anything else, Corey, before we go? Anything else? No, I, I think you've covered most of it. I do have to say, though, we have to find a way to get to an actual game in Mullet Arena. Oh, yeah, 100%. We'll, we'll find some way to go. We'll find the cheapest game we can go to and, and figure out a way to go. Yeah, because that's, I think, the the last thing we need to make our assessment of the full full thing. We've heard a lot of, as much as, um, unlike what Twitter would have you believe, there's been many people saying really great things about being in that arena, and I'm just pumped to go there and be able to watch a game. Yeah, and just like take a look at all the national media that was sent down to Tempe to cover that game, and I tweeted this out. It's It was legit the center of the hockey world for one night. It was Tempe, Arizona. And everybody in the national media who showed up said they had a great time. And it was an awesome atmosphere. And it just and it shut everybody up. Shut everybody up. So uh, anyway, thank you, everybody, for uh, being patient with us as we went under a hiatus for the last few months. Um, we're glad we're back. Coyotes are 1-0 since the return to Sporty. So maybe it's the Sporty bump, Corey. What do you think? The Sporty bump. Coyotes are about to go on a winning streak. Absolutely. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> um, we'll come back for another episode eventually. Again, maybe we'll do an entire hour on Taylor Swift's possible set list for her upcoming tour. You never know. Um, so until we talk to you again, Sporty Nation, it is very nice to be able to say this once again. Good night and good hockey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Sporty with Corey and Richie Suave. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Corey underscore Richie Show. Join us again next time and stay sporty, my friends.